in being part of these discipleship groups, you need to get an application, fill it out, and turn it in by next week, okay? By next week, if you are interested in being part of these groups. Okay, we're going to have a couple testimonies. If I can have all the, um, the, the homeless outreach testimonies, come on up right here. Ted, come on up. We're missing one. Oh, yeah. Um, so when I first went into the homeless testimony, I didn't really, or homeless outreach, I didn't really know what to expect. Like, I felt like I didn't really have like a heart for the homeless, like, like, uh, Peter does. But, um, as I was just serving and like, as I was just seeing how these people, their hearts are so open and they really want something to change in their lives. Like, it just made me so like, I don't know. I just felt like love from God, like. As I was talking to somebody, like talking to some people, and they were telling us our li- telling us their life stories, I just felt like so much love, like that I never had before. Like, I just felt in my heart, like it was it was weird. I just like I just wanted to hug them or something, but like, yeah, I, I never would have felt that before if like I didn't just allow God to just move and just let Him move by grace. But yeah, and also just uh, serving them, I I thought it would be like really hard and like it would, like, make me all tired, and I wouldn't be wanting to do this, but sometimes there is, like, joy in serving. Like, I I felt like when I was serving, it was just, I really wanted God to move in them. Like, this was, like, this was, like, a first for me. Like, I don't know, like, he he really, like, gave me a heart for serving them, and I think, like, if we have this again next year, I'd for sure want to go again, so... Um, if you see the picture over there, that's Justice, and actually we stayed for her to like, what, 10, 11 that day, um, but I think through this homeless outreach, God, what God really pressed on my heart was, he's the God who leaves the 99 for that one, and I feel like that one was Justice that day. Um, when I saw her, uh, it was like... Like, when I looked at her, I was like, dang, I was just there, you know? I was just there. I was so lost. Like, I used to be so arrogant, so prideful, but look where I got, look where I am right now. Look where God took me. Um, And I think, like, that, like, made, like, special connection with me and justice. Like, at first, like, she was like, ew, like, you guys are weird, like, because she was, she was right in front of the bathroom, like, she was washing her clothes, and then I know Lydia, Jack, and Ted were the ones who were, like, started talking to her, started talking to her, and then she was, like, very distant, but then, like, towards the end, like, like, we took pictures together, her face was, like, right next to me, like, her foundation even, like, got on me, like, we became, like, that close, and, like, leaving her was really, 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 really sad. But, um, you know, in Acts it says, no silver or gold I do not have. And, like, you know, I can't be with her, like, 24-7 just because, like, I miss her. But, you know, I think one thing that God, like, um, put on my heart was to, like, leave the spirit with her. So, like, what I have 
I shared with her. And I know from there God would protect her. And I know he has been pursuing her. So I have faith in God's love for her and for me, of course. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah. I'll just, I'll just kind of add on to, like, I'll just kind of add on, thank you. I'll, I'll just kind of add on to, like, that, li- oh, justice, like, she was a completely different person, like, when we met her and when we left her. We met her around, around 3.30 and we left around 9.40. When we met her, she was, like, sharing her story. She was, like, talking a lot about her past. But the time she, when, when, when we left, she was, like, you guys have... You guys don't know the magnitude of what you guys can do. You guys could change this world. Like, this nothing to lose thing, which was us. And she was just like, her eyes were open to so many things. She was like, the way you guys approached me last and the way this title just pulled me, it was like, it's all God's divine appointment. And she was just like, you guys had nothing, just water and food, but you guys just had the word of God, the only thing you guys needed. And she was like, just encouraging us, and it was crazy. And that was just like... One of the testimonies. And it's just, like, crazy how, like, this one guy got healed, his back got healed, his back got healed, and he started crying, and he was just praising God. This other guy uh, just spoke, like, his daughter over him, and then he could, he's, right after we prayed for him, he just went to his friends, like, this guy prayed for my daughter. Like, he's testified, like, God moving, like, God's going to, you know, uh, be there for his family. He was just testifying, and it just made me realize, like, I went in this Actually, when I first went in this, I didn't know that I was supposed to, I was going to lead it. I thought all I had to do was organize it and just be a part of it. <laughs> and, you know, the first Monday, that's when I realized, like, oh, like, someone has to lead it. And I didn't. Because <laughs> last year, Nick did. And, you know, this year, I was just like, I'm the one who knows all the information, so I, I do have to lead it. But it just really spoke to me that, like, all God needs is not someone who's all perfect and knows everything, but just one willing person. And I, I really believe, like, we have testimonies from every day of lives getting changed, of people even encountering the love of God, like, during the services. And I just want to encourage you guys, like, it's, it's really, like, it's, it's sometimes scary and so it's sometimes, like, discouraging, but it's, I really learned that it's not about what I can't do, but it's, like, God can do everything. It's, God, it's, it's about God. It's all about what God can do. And... I guess I just want to quickly leave off with just this. And I just felt pressed on my heart to share it. And it's for 1 Timothy 4.12. Uh, Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. I want to, I want to even like all the freshmen, like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I just did it, and it was awesome. And in the same way, like, you guys might not know what you're doing, but if you guys are just willing and available, like, please challenge us. Like, every, even like Pastor Dennis, we want to be challenged. And, yeah, this is just awesome. Yeah, it's just awesome. Yeah. But thank you, guys. That's pretty much it. Amen. I just want to say as a pastor, I'm so proud of you guys. And, look, I, I just felt a burden as Peter was sharing. I'm going to go two minutes, okay? Two minutes. Being a minister is not going to seminary and getting a degree. 
Being a minister is getting a burden from God and stepping out in faith in an obedience, okay? That's ministry. Don't give me this garbage about I'm just going to get my degree and be a professional pastor. Can I be blunt? We don't need you, okay? Blunt. No, we need people with a God-given burden who have the courage to obey and just say, God, I don't know how to do this, but I'm available to follow you. That's what ministry burden is made out of, okay? That's what leadership in the body is made out of. And I really want to commend Peter and a lot of our students who have been rising up and saying, God is putting a burden on my heart. I don't know how to do it, but I'm going to step out and try, okay? Step out and try. That's leadership, and that's spirit-led leadership, amen? So I just say that with love. Um, and just to challenge us, because this is what we need. We need students who will rise up with God-given burdens in this generation. You don't have to wait until, don't say, you know, four months and then harvest. Lift up your eyes. The fields are white. They're ready to go. There is a need for people to step up and allow God to send them into whatever mission field he wants to send them into. But the reality is, is look, there's tons out in the mission field, there's tons in other nations. But I'll tell you, man, there's tons right here in Orange County. If we would lift up our eyes, there is need for people to go out with the love of God and just a willing heart. And God will use you. God will use you in the place where you're at, in the friendship groups that you have around you, with the needy people on the college campuses, on the high school campuses. There is need for people to step in with faith and the love of God. So thank you guys for doing that. Really awesome. All right, we have a special surprise today. We have our brother Nick, who's going to share the word with us today. Come on up here, bro. Make Nick try and preach to a dead congregation. Amen? Amen. No, come on. Every time he says something that resonates in your heart, you go, mmm, amen, brother. You say, mmm. All right, do a little. Man, I remember, look, I remember I was going to this church in Oakland, literally after every phrase there was this one woman in the back who would who would say amen amen and the preacher would go and then i went to the store amen brother amen just literally everything that was the culture that they had in that church but i'll tell you as a preacher man it was so awesome <laughs> it's so awesome being there right you feel so affirmed and encouraged let's do the same for nick today amen, amen. all right come on Hey, uh, turn to John chapter 19. Dude, this is going to be a long sermon if you keep doing that. <laughs> Verse 28, 1928. Thanks, guys. Um, today, usually the last day of the month, or last Sunday of the month, we do like an EV service for like all your non-believing friends who want to get them saved. Um, but today, I'm just with like every, I just felt like with everything that's been going on over this summer, I feel like God has just been planting all of these things inside of you guys so that when you guys go into your campuses, uh, go into your workplace, go back home, you guys will be able to bear the fruit of the seeds that were planted over this summer. With the prayer burn and everything like that going on, I feel like God has just been pumping our ministry with all of this spiritual fruit that we haven't seen yet, but we're going to see. And so today, instead of actually just preaching to see the lost saved, I'm going to be preaching to you guys 
for you guys to be the agents to see the lost saved. And I want to pump this into you guys. Because I believe that the day of one evangelist going around and leading a million people to Christ are over. That it's the church that's going to rise up all together. And it's not going to be one name who, who did this, but there's going to be names of people doing this. Not just one person, but the entire church is going to take hold of, of what it means to be the royal priesthood. And everyone's going to go out. Now, instead of a name of a person, it's going to be the name of a ministry that saw revival. Man, the Moravians, all of them were nameless, but we know them as their ministry, the Moravians. I believe that, that we're going to see a movement happen like that in our generation, where it's not going to be any one name, but it's going to be a people who are going out to preach the gospel and see revival happen in this place. The Moravians were just a type, but we're going to be entering into something way bigger, way deeper. And so that's what we're going to be getting into today. The, the, the title of the sermon, oh, you already have it up, but the title of the sermon is, would I title it? Because he's worthy. <laughs> I had all these different title names, that's why. <laughs> it's because he's worthy. And um, before we get into the scripture, man, when I was in the burn, I was in the presence of God. But it was, but God is holy. God is love, but God is light as well. And his light just pierced through my heart. And when the, when the light pierced through my heart, you know, I'm used to like, oh, he loves me, amen. But what refracted out of my heart was actually my past sins coming up into pictures. And I was like, man, God. I don't deserve to even breathe. I don't deserve to even stand and walk. I don't even deserve anything that you've given me. I, the only thing I deserve is I deserve actually to die because of the sins that I've committed against you and the sins I've committed against other people. I deserve to die, God. Because, because you know what's crazy? It's because God loves so passionately that's what gave me the understanding that I needed to die. Do you get that? Like, Because God loves so passionately, that's why I realized that I needed to die. Because he loves people impartially. He doesn't show anyone favoritism. So when I sin against a brother or a sister, when I sin against someone else, God, he burns with his love for that person. And I realized I need to die right? He loves people impartially. Just as, he, just as he loves me, he loves you. It's impartial. And man, I, I was there. I was like, oh God, I deserve to die. Why the heck am I still alive? Why do I still breathe? Why did you save me? Why, do, why did you not only prevent me from dying, but you've made me your child? Why? Why didn't you just kill me? And the only thing that I heard the whisper of the Holy Spirit say is to testify to the grace of God. It's because he's worthy. So if we look at John chapter 19, verse 28, this is, 
This is our Lord. This is our Savior, and he's dying. He's up on a cross. He's already been beaten, tortured, mocked, and scorned. He's already been spit on. He's dying. He's, he's coming to his last breath. This is the word of God. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. And so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Amen. Let me pray real quick. Thank you, Jesus. God, I know right now it's heavy, but God, we're going to be taken into glory. But Father, I just want to paint a sober picture, but a realistic picture, because Father, I want to see a real movement of the Spirit. I want to see a real revival happen in this generation, God. I don't want to just pump people up emotionally, but I want to preach the Word, the, the, the hard stuff and the soft stuff, God. And so Father, I just pray that your Spirit would be here, made manifest, and that you would touch every single heart, and no heart would go unturned. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So check this. Jesus is dying on the cross, and he says, I thirst. But before, he said, all who come to me will never thirst. All who come to me will never go hungry. But Jesus says he thirsts because he became sin. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Man, when Jesus said, I thirst, man, what, you know what I hear? I hear the, yesterday we had a gospel training. I hear the 74,000 people in Buena Park who are lost right now and on a pathway to hell saying, I thirst. I see my friends and my family who don't know Christ, and I hear, I thirst. He who knew no sin, he became sin, and he became like one of us. He became like a sinner, and he said, I thirst. And what did he get? In instead of something to please his thirst, instead he got a sponge full of sour wine. And then I just imagine my, the 74,000 people in Buena Park who are lost, that they say they thirst, and all they're given is sour wine. See, my friends and my family who say, I thirst, and all they're given is sour wine. This was to fulfill scripture. Actually, in Psalm 69, it says that, that for, it says like, for my thirst, all they gave me was sour wine. And that, so Jesus said that to fulfill a prophecy. But the psalmist said that because he felt thirsty. There's so many, many people out there who are waiting to hear the gospel. There's so many people out there who want to know Jesus. Because he's the only water 
that can satisfy their thirst. He's the only water that can satisfy their thirst. There's a lie going out by the devil saying, no one wants Jesus. There's a lie going out saying that no one wants to hear you preach. There's a lie going out that says, you're going to be despised and hated for doing what you've been called to do. You know, I actually haven't faced that much opposition from the lost. I face a lot more opposition, unfortunately, from my brothers and my sisters, right? When I'm trying to get my campus to come and, and evangelize with me, I invited hundreds of people. And you know what happened that first day? I invited house church too. And you know what happened that day? It was just me. <laughs> you know, the, the, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. You know, realistically, I did the math. 100 BTM students can reach all of Buena Park in less than a year if each person just shared the gospel once a day. So the real, you know, so actually the, the, the task of an entire cities and entire campuses hearing the gospel is not impossible because we don't have the manpower for it, but it's impossible because the hearts of the people are unwilling to do it, and no one can change someone's heart except for God. That's why Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out more laborers. Because it's the heart of the people that need to be almost squeezed. Where all this impurity and, and false theology and false ideology begins to come out of their system. So that you can actually soak up the water and the wine that you desperately need to actually have a heart to engage the lost. I'm so encouraged by Peter because I know Peter understands that it's very lonely being someone to do something like this. To be honest, it's very lonely to be an evangelist because no one wants to come with you. To be honest, it's very lonely. Man, I get tempted all the time. I'm like, man, I can't, how come I'm still here? Why can't I run with YWAM? Why can't I run with Axe, with people who have this heart? Why am I still here? Because it's lonely. I don't want to do this by myself. But it's because the church desperately needs this. When God spoke to me that burn and said to testify to the grace of God, the verse Highlighted in my, in my face, Acts chapter 20, verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the grace of the gospel of God. Man, we're just called to be servants. We're just called to carry and I know this, that if anything happens today, it's not because of me, but it's because God loves you guys and he wants something to happen. So I take no credit for what's going to happen today, but I do have confidence that God is going to mark your heart today because God is worthy.
I see Jesus and he's up on the cross and he's saying, I thirst, I thirst. Mockingly, these people stab a sponge with a, with a hyssop branch, put it in some sour wine and they give it to him. Go ahead, drink. He's already dying. And he takes it. And he takes it and it's like, it's like tasting almost just the, the filthiness of our sin. He like tastes it. He tastes the filthiness of our sin. And then he says, oh man, I've had it all. All my senses, my, my physical pain, my spiritual pain, my taste, my, my, my inner longings. I've tasted it all for sin. But you know what's beautiful? Do you remember the woman with the alabaster flask? who broke the flask and poured it all over Jesus' feet. Have you ever broken a perfume bottle? That stuff smells so bad, and that probably won't get off of you for a long while. So you know what's beautiful? Even though he tasted sin, even though he felt the, the mores and the scars, he's bleeding out, he didn't even look recognizable. But you know what he smelled? He smelled the fragrance coming up from his feet. He smelled the, the woman's alabaster flask. And what, do, what does the fragrance represent? The prayers of the saints. And so then all of a sudden, he's reminded of David. He's reminded of Moses. He's reminded of Abraham. He's reminded of all these people who prayed and contended and fought for him and prophesied, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah, all these people who were servants of the Lord, he remembered them. And he said, man, it's worth it. The Bible says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, despised the shame and he endured the cross. You are that joy that, he's, that was set before him. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he's sweating blood. He has no idea what to do. Up, gives him a picture. Then he goes. And then it's tough being up on a cross. And then he's reminded. And he's like, man, just like you guys said, for the 99, I'll leave the 99 for the one. If it's just one of them to get saved, I'm going to do it. I was looking at ants one day. And the ants were crawling on the floor. And God spoke to me. And he's like, would you give up your life for an ant? I said, what? No, what the heck? Why would I give up my life for an ant? And then he responded, why would God give up his life for humanity? You know, like how much... God actually loves you. Like, he didn't actually save you because he saw some worth in you. He saved you because he loves you so much. Is an ant worth anything to a human? I don't think so. Is a human really worth that much to God that he would lay down his life for humanity? I don't think so. 
But because God is love, that's why he laid down his life. But because of his great love for us, that's why he laid down his life. It's, it's, that's the only way you can come unto this understanding of how God's love is actually immeasurable. It's not because you're worthy. But it's because he cherishes you for whatever reason. He cherishes you and he loves you so much. He's dying on this cross. He tastes, he tastes sin and he became sin for us. And he says, it is finished. Because in spite of everything that was going on, Jesus maintained holiness all the way up to the, to the end of his day. Right? That's what happened. He maintained holiness even on a cross. He never said anything against his enemies. He just showed them love. He's on the cross and he's dying and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They sin, but they sin in ignorance. Man, this is grace. Sometimes you can look at, like, maybe, maybe you look at me, or maybe you look at Todd White, or maybe you look at Heidi Baker, and you think, like, man, like, what about them do they have that I don't have? It's, that's actually a lie. <laughs> they don't have anything that you don't have. <laughs> they really don't. They don't have anything that you don't have, except for maybe faith. <laughs> but the grace of God that has been given to them is the same grace that has been given to you. They don't deserve everything that God is doing through them. They don't deserve it. But it's by God's grace that they have these things. And it's, it's them partnering with God's grace by believing in him through faith that they're able to be utilized by God in such a way. And the reason why I say this is because there's a parable that Jesus talks about. It's called the parable of the unworthy servants. And, you know, in that parable, he, he says this. If a servant goes out to do what he's commanded and he comes back in, does the master thank the servant? That's because you were commanded to do it, right? You were commanded to do it. And he says, as servants, when we, when we come and, dude, I can't, one day when we move on from this life to the next, I pray and I hope that Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. But you know what my response is going to be? Lord, I'm just unworthy. And not from false humility, but because I know that I couldn't have done any of that. I was just done what I was commanded. Actually, then it, then it comes to a place where this is not leadership of something, but this is stewardship of something. I've been given a command by God to go and testify to the grace of God. And so I'm not leading people to do this. I just want to steward people to do this. And I want people to understand God's heart. So we're motivated by God's worthiness. Man, he died on a cross for us because he loves us so much. 
And you know, God revealed to me, though, this one thing during that prayer burn. That every time I said yes, through the murkiness of my own mind of wanting honor and prestige or, or you know, wanting to, to be used by God in such a great way, through all that murkiness, God actually revealed that, you know, in your heart, the, one of the reasons why you did say yes is because you understood that I'm worth the yes. I'm worthy of the yes. I don't choose, uh, I don't like being persecuted, right? I don't find, like, enjoyment in it, right? Um, I don't like it when people talk bad about me, um, but people do. I don't enjoy it, but because I see the worthiness of Jesus, I just say my yes. He, I deserve hell. I don't deserve to even stand before you. I'm only three years old in Christ. Why am I here? It goes against all conventional wisdom. <laughs> I'm not supposed to be here. I'm, I'm, I wasn't supposed to help pioneer the navigators at Cal State Fullerton. I wasn't supposed to start the house of prayer on my campus. What I mean by that is I don't deserve it. I don't deserve to stand up here. I don't deserve to speak to you guys. But because of God's grace, I can be here today. And because of what Jesus done, when he said, it is finished, he who knew no sin became sin. He also said that it is finished for you. You're done. It's over. Your life from sin, that's what you've been saved from. Your life from, from sin, that's what you've been saved from. 2,000 years ago, Jesus said that it was finished. The moment you said yes to God and no to the world, you got filled with this Holy Spirit. And now you've, in the Spirit, ceased from sin. All right? And now, for some odd reason, God will give you, actually, authority and power and love and self-control to walk as Jesus walked. In Acts chapter 1, this is going to be, I'm about to end, okay? In Acts chapter 1, Jesus, he says, wait here in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high, until you receive the power that comes with the Holy Spirit. That's what I want you to wait for. But you know what's awesome? They already had authority to cast out demons and heal the sick, right? You read the Gospels. They already had that authority. So Part of this power, and a big part of this power, is the ability and the anointing to actually walk in holiness. Because without holiness, no one will see God. Jesus, people saw God through him. People came to believe that he was the Son of God and the Messiah because of his holiness. 
And now you have that power to walk in holiness. You actually do. Because his spirit now lives in you. And he's called the Holy Spirit. He's not called the love spirit. He's called the Holy Spirit. His love, we for this to be holy. But if we lean too much on God as love, we forget that God is light. And so the word holy encaptures both. God is love and God is light. God is holy. You have that power. You have that anointing right now as we speak. God did not give us a spirit of fear to fall back into slavery, to fall back into timidity, to fall back into fear. He gave us a spirit of power and love and self-control. And the power is not in your ministry, but the power is in your life. And so when we look for power in our ministry, then we've got the wrong idea. He's looking for a powerful life because the life is the gospel witness and the testimony and the preaching that no one can refute. So I actually do not want to commission you to go out and preach the gospel. That's not the only thing. I want to commission you to walk in the way that Jesus has called you to walk in. You know, even though I talk about this, I actually don't think that you can walk in perfect holiness in this life. Only Jesus did that. And far be it from me to, to say that I can be perfectly like Jesus. But I think we could get close. I think we could get close, right? We can't be perfect, but we can. I'm striving for that, right? Why not? Why strive for anything less, right? I'm striving for that, but I know that I, I can't be like Jesus yet, right? I don't, I want to walk like Jesus, but but. But I want my life to point to Jesus. I don't want my life to, to be Jesus, right? I live for the glory of, of my Lord. So we can walk in this holiness. Because you know what actually prevents you from preaching the gospel? It's when actually you watch pornography and you feel unworthy. It's when, it's when you have all these thoughts and stuff and you feel unworthy, it's when you just fought with your mom. You're like, I don't deserve to preach the gospel. I'm not worthy to do it. But, but what would it look like, man, if you got free from these things? And then when you go out and you preach, you can testify of the power of God. Where your speech and your message is not just words of wisdom and good sayings from the Bible and apologetics but it's actually in demonstration of the spirit and of power. To be so full of the grace of God that you're unashamed of your sin. Right? Yesterday when we were out EVing for the gospel training, one of the guys asked me, man, like, what dark thing did you do to, to encounter Jesus? <laughs> right? It's, that's what he said, right, Stephanie? Something like that. And, and I was like, oh, praise the Lord. I said, what, what have I done? I've been sexually immoral since I was 10 years old, right? 
I've been addicted to pornography since I was 10 years old. I deserve to die, actually. I fist fought my dad. The Bible says I should die. <laughs> but I, I shared that with him. And they didn't give their life to Christ that day because these guys are like thugged out, bangers, like their friends are like ex cons right there so we can go see him again. But it takes relationship. And they live right there so we can go see him again. But when I started to just confess the sin, but, but from a place of grace, man, something like, they stopped, like, talking, and they started listening, and then I shared my testimony, and I asked them if they want to come to Jesus, but they said, I'm not ready yet. <laughs> ah! But they live right there, so we can go to them, Okay. <laughs> I just share that to say, like, when we go out and when we preach the gospel, it's not because, like, we're, we're, we're more worthy than other people. It's not because we're better. It's not because we, we, we're on the same playing field as every other person. You have the power to cast out demons. You have the power to heal the sick. You have the power for prophecy and for, for prophetic words to just come into your mind just out of nowhere and begin to just speak it. Because I've come to find out that anything, any fruit of ministry comes not because of my own righteousness, but because of God's love for the people. Any fruit of ministry comes from God's love for the people. All he's concerned about and all I'm concerned about for me is the fruit of the spirit that I'm bearing for his name. And so, man, go out. Go out and preach the gospel because there, there's a lot of people going to hell. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation, and you guys are the agents that are going to see it. I believe that, like I said in the beginning, I believe that the days of one person leading thousands and millions to Christ are over. What if BTM got written out in the history books, just like the Moravians. Sorry, one more thing. You know John Wesley? He's the, he's the, he's the founder of the Methodists. Him and his brother, and then a guy named George Whitfield. And George Whitfield came to America and helped Jonathan Edwards, which sparked the first great awakening in America. Hallelujah. You know, John Wesley, Charles Wesley, George Whitfield, they were impacted by the Moravians. I think right now, everything that we're, that we're kind of gleaning from and getting spiritually is from the Moravians. There are 100 years of constant prayer. That's what we're gleaning off of, and that's what we're entering into. Because John Wesley, when he was first going off on a mission trip, he was in a life-or-death situation, and he was so scared. But the Moravians, they weren't afraid of death. He got so possessed by this, he was like, teach me your ways. How are you not afraid of death? I believe that BTM can be a people group 
a ministry, a church, a body of believers. Because we can't do this by ourselves. We can't do this by ourselves. We need partners to come with us into the harvest field. We need a team. Man, hey, just real quick. How fun, exciting, and amazing was it to go with Peter to reach out to the homeless? Like, say amen if you had fun. And then how many of us were even afraid of anything? Raise your hand if you were afraid of anything. Okay, fine. But how many of us had more courage than we would have bef- than if we were to go alone? Man, see, I'm not, I'm not asking one of you guys to go out and preach. I'm asking all of us to go out and to preach. Because it's not the one evangelist that's the greatest witness to the world. It's when the church comes to love one another in a fantastic way that everyone's like, God is among you. It's the church. I'm just here to inspire you guys to do that. That's all I'm here for. (laughs) And it's all by his grace. So right now, if we can just uh, close our eyes and begin to pray. And this is just going to be a, a, a time of response. And, um, and I just want us to, whatever God spoke today, man, engage with that. Engage with whatever he spoke to you today. And can we get like a guitar up here or a piano? Whatever is fine. And just begin to engage with him. Begin to speak. God, I know I can't do this on our, we can't do this on our own. Father, we need you, God. We need the partnership of the Holy Spirit. We need grace. We don't do this because there's something special about us. But we do this because you're worthy, God. Father, we look at the cross and we see that you're worthy. We, 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 we see the blood trickling down, that Christ, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. God, we want to love you. We want to walk in grace. We want to testify to the grace. going to share um, about, I'm going to share about missions, and I'm going to share about the nations, and these are just uh, things that I really felt the Lord put on my heart, so um, I'm going to share three things about why my heart burns for the nations, Um, and first, I just want to share that my heart burns for the nations because 
I have found that his heart burns for the nations. And so I'm just going to share, like, um, this past summer, I went to the Middle East for a mission trip, and I just want to share three stories that have proven to me that he cares so deeply for the nations. And so in my time in the Middle East, I was actually able to work with um, Syrian refugees. If you guys don't know, Syria has been in a war for about eight years. Their country is like in crazy, um, crazy situation right now. And people are just trying to flee. Um, and just to put it into perspective, like I'm talking like women and children are getting bombed and just murdered like left and right. And um, so I was able to actually talk with some of the refugees and we our team went to this city that's just filled with refugees and we got to deliver food and supplies for like a month's worth. And, and so we got to just sit down and talk with some of these families. And I just want to share some of their stories with you. And so first I want to share about um, this lady who, when she was in Syria, she was pregnant and she was escaping the war. Um, but right when she was about to cross the border with her husband, her husband got caught by the authorities and he was actually tortured and killed to death. And so she crossed the border by herself while she's pregnant um, and she gives birth. Um, and so our team meets her a few years later and so she has her daughter. And um, what she shared with us is that there was actually a team that came before us, a few months before us, and they got to give her a Bible and share their gospel with her. And she told our team that she started reading the Bible. And after she started reading the Bible, she, had, she started having dreams. And she had a dream. Um, oh, and, but then while she was um, in this country, because of the stress that she had from the war and because of everything that was going on in her, in her life, she, was, she started to have seizures and half of her face was like paralyzed. Um, but after she, she heard the gospel and she got the Bible, she started reading the Bible and she had a dream and Jesus comes to her in her dream. If you guys don't know, in the Middle East, there's this huge phenomenon going on where Jesus is showing himself in people's dreams. And it's, we call it the dreams of the man in white because they see a man dressed in white and his face is so bright that they can't even see his face. And he just shows up to them in their dreams. And so this woman has a dream of the man in white and he comes to her and he says, I'm Jesus, I love you and I'm here to heal you. And then the next morning, she is completely healed. Her depression is gone. Um, but our team found that, she was telling our team that, but she stopped reading her Bible. Um, and she went to the doctors because they gave her medication. She had stopped taking the medication after she got healed. But she went back and they told her, no, you need just keep taking the medications. And so once she started taking the medications again, she, she got worse. Her condition got worse. And so our team was just able to go and share the gospel again and tell her, like, no, like, Jesus loves you so much and you have to believe in him. And the second story I want to share is... Um, there was a lady we met who, when she was in Syria, um, a witch actually came to her house, but she didn't know she was a witch. Um, so this witch comes to her house and she knocks on her door and she says, someone has placed a curse over your house and you need to let me in so I can lift the curse. And so this woman's scared and she's like, oh, okay. And she lets this witch in and this witch like makes her a drink that looks like water. And then she drinks it but when she puts it down, it looks like blood and dirt mixed together. And then this witch lady just like 
temporarily like blinds her somehow and she takes all of her valuables from her house, all her money, and she runs away. So now this woman is, um, she escaped from Syria and we met her, but she was telling us that like every night she has nightmares and she can't walk around in her own home because she feels like someone's following her and she can't go to sleep because she feels like someone's watching over her. And so our team was able to come and just talk to her and she shared that she had a dream um, not about a man in white, but she had a dream that the world was in chaos. But in her dream, somehow she knew that three days after her birthday, the solution to the chaos would be Christianity. And so she's just like, what does this mean? Like, do I just wait for my birthday? And um, our team leader was like, no, that's symbolic. It, it Like three days was when Jesus died and he rose again. And he wants to give you a new birth. He wants to give you new life. But you have to accept him in order for all these things to go away. You have to accept him in your life. So we were able to share that with her. Um, and then the last story is this. There was this girl. Um, and we all had translators for our teams. But this this particular family was really strange because our translator just like left the team and he was like, peace. Um, and so we're communicating through Google Translate. Um, but there's this girl in one of the families who's talking to us through Google Translate and out of nowhere she says, I've been having dreams of a man in white. Um, and then we're like, dude, that's Jesus. <laughs> um, and she starts asking these questions like, does he hear me when I pray to him? Does he love me the way that I love him? And she says, is there any way I can find out more about this man? And so we got to give her a Bible, share the gospel with her. And so these are just some stories that I wanted to share to, to show you guys that God is moving like crazy in the nations because he wants them to know who he is. And I'm just so convinced that his heart burns for the nations because all this happened before we even got there. All this happened before we even said a word that God was already trying to reach them. Um, and secondly, my heart burns for the nations because the nations need a witness and my time on earth is so short. Um, what Nick was saying, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are really so few. And I just want to read something out of um, Romans. So in Romans 10, this is Paul speaking. And he says, He says, For the scripture says, Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. And I realized after going on mission trip after mission trip, I just keep realizing how short my time here is and, and that the nations really need a witness, that there are people out there who've literally never once heard of the name of Jesus. No one has ever come up to them and told them about Jesus and they just 
They die without ever hearing the good news. They die without ever hearing the gospel. And you come up to them and it's like you say, hey, have you ever heard of Jesus? And they're like, where does he live? Like next door? Like They have no grid for who Jesus is. And so my heart burns because the nations are in need of a witness. And lastly, I just want to say that my heart burns for the nations because Jesus is worthy. I'm just going to steal Nick's title because he's worthy. It's so true. He's so worthy. Jesus is coming back soon. And he has promised an inheritance. Um, when I was in the Middle East, what the Lord really revealed to me was Isaiah 53. And this chapter, it talks about the suffering servant or the man of sorrows. And I'll just read some of, the, some of this chapter. It says, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Um, for he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. This is talking about Jesus. He was despised and forsaken of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. But surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, he did not open his mouth. Yet he himself poured out himself to death, was numbered with the transgressors and bore the sins of many and interceded for the transgressors. And Jesus, I believe this with all my heart that because he suffered much, he will inherit much. Um, and I just want to read from Isaiah 9. It's a lot of Bible, but this is really what the Lord spoke to me. Um, and this, I believe, is a prophecy for Jesus as well. But there will be no more, no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. For a child will be born to us. His name will be called Wonder, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. 
there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And I believe that that God has a great reward waiting for his son, his son who suffered so much for the sake of humanity. And I just want to share that for me personally, what, what really clicked in my mind that I want to give my life to missions um, was when I realized there are people who've never heard his name before, but that there is a dream in Jesus' heart. There is a dream, there is a destiny over his life that he um, will be the ruler of the nations. There is a dream in his heart that he will receive his reward, that he will receive the inheritance of his suffering. And I want to stand behind his dream. Um, I want to give my life to his dream. And there is an invitation for every single one of us to stand behind this dream of His, to, to work towards this dream that we want to see Him receive His inheritance. And so I want to close with this call. I want to close with a call to respond um, from you guys. And um, there's a quote by Amy Carmichael. She's, she was a missionary to India. She's really famous. Um, she's awesome. Um, but there's a quote that she has, and she said, missionary life is simply a chance to die. And, but here's something that I believe and something that the Lord really had to confront me with is when I would hear quotes like this, I'd be like, yeah, missionary life is a call to die. We're going to the mission field. We're just going to die. But, like, but he had to confront me with something because I saw that when I came back to America, my life was so different from the mission field. And somehow I could be a missionary in a different country, but I couldn't do it here. And the Lord really had to convict me and say, how will you be a missionary over there if you can't do it here? And I really had to change my perspective. So when I'm, when I'm calling you guys to be missionaries and missions right now, I'm not talking about just, just across um, across the sea kind of missionary but I'm talking about if we are born again to believe that heaven is our home to believe that that is where we come from heaven is the city that we're looking towards the city that we believe we belong and the earth here America Buena Park Fullerton wherever you are right now is a pit stop it's just a pit stop on the way to heaven but what you do here matters what you do here will affect everything of your future. So when I say missionary, I mean like a surrender that wherever you are, it will be your aim, it will be your ambition to bring the kingdom of heaven here. And so, um, yeah, I also just wanted to say that on the note that like, time is so short we literally don't know we're not promised tomorrow it says in James um, your life is not promised tomorrow and so none of us can predict when we'll die 
none of us can predict, none of us can know when we're going to die. But this I believe with all my heart that every single one of us can determine and resolve in our hearts what and who we will die for. And so I just want to, yeah, I just want to call a response. I want to open this space up even um, as an altar call. In an altar call, Petey said this before, it's not something special of you just coming up here. There's no magic in this space right here, but it's the resolve in your heart. It's the surrender of your heart. It's a building an altar before the Lord in your heart that I want to surrender my life to you, Jesus. I want to give my life to your mission. I want to give my life to your dream. I want to stand behind you and say, yes, Lord, I believe that you are worthy to receive your inheritance of the nations. You are worthy to receive what you have died for. So I just want to invite you guys right now, if there's anyone here who, who has never surrendered their life um, to missions and you feel a pulling in your heart, you feel something in your heart that you want to surrender your life, um, yeah, this space is open. We love to pray for you. And I just want to read out of, um, lastly, out of Revelation 7. Um, I love the book of Revelation. It gives you vision. <laughs> oh, no, weird. <laughs> but um, in Revelation 7, it says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands and they cry out with a loud voice saying salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb and all the angels were standing around the throne around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces and worshiped God saying amen blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and power and honor and might be to our God forever and ever amen And I just want us to respond to that word. Okay, right now, can we all just stand up? Even as um, Jacqueline was speaking, I felt like God was putting something else on my heart too. I'm going to do a dual um, altar call here. But I, what I heard was I heard this. It's like, God, I don't really have a heart for, for nations. I don't really have a heart for campuses. I don't really have a heart for these things. And what I saw, what I felt like the Lord was saying is, I have a mission field for you. I have a mission field for you. And what I saw was I saw mothers and I saw fathers who were broken and I saw friends with in, in great depression and in great confusion in their lives. And I saw that there were people that you may know that need a miracle in their lives. There's people that you may know, that you know that are in bondage and you have a heart for them and you wish that you could help them, but you don't know how. And I just felt like in my spirit that I saw this prayer go forth and it was like, God, make me a minister. God, use me, use me, Lord. And I saw this anointing start to come on some people. And I wanna say this, if there's people in your life that you wish you had the ability to really minister to, I mean, really bring breakthrough in their life, that you 
you see strongholds in their life and you just don't know how to do it but man you're like God I want to be a minister I want to be able to minister to them in an effective and a powerful way I want to say that this is how this gets started look Ministry is not about standing on platforms and telling people what to do. Ministry is about having a burden and wanting to help people, but wrestling with the frustration of your powerlessness versus the great need that's out that you see. That's ministry, and every single child of God has been called to be a great minister. The second thing that I saw was this. I feel like for some of you, it's so difficult in church and there's all these church things but I feel like the Lord was saying that for some of you you have gifts that were designed to be used outside of the church and I feel like some of you have felt so awkward and like church just doesn't seem right for you I feel like the Lord was was speaking he was saying man they don't see how gifted they are they don't see how I've gifted them and oh if only their gifts would come alive that they would see my kingdom is so much bigger than their understanding of church and I just want to speak right now to some of you I know some of you are so incredibly gifted but because your gifts were not designed for the church you don't know how to fit in in here but I want to tell you, God knows the destiny of your life. And if you would trust Him and go, God, would you use me as I am? I just want to speak right now prophetically and say, God, He says, I know the plans that I have for you. They're plans to prosper you and not to harm you, but plans to give you a hope and a future. And I'm just declaring right now, if you would say, God, I don't know what it looks like, but Father, I want you to use me in my life. This is the prayer. God, would you use me as I am, even though I feel like I don't fit exactly what you want. But the Lord says, no, I know what I'm doing when I made you. I know what I was doing when I made you, when I designed you with your heart and your passions and your needs and your burdens. I know what I was doing. And I sense the Spirit of the Lord saying, I'm calling you. You have what I need in this hour. And so with both of those things, I want to make a dual altar call right now. If you feel a call for the nations and you're just like, God, I want you to use me in the nations. Just come up to this side over here, right here. We're going to pray grace and blessing over you. And if you're like the other side where you're like, God, I have friends and I have family members that need breakthrough in their lives. And I don't know how to help them. But God, I want you to make me a minister. Come up to this side right here. I just feel like God wants to give you faith that you would explode to be a minister in this season. Staff, prayer team, if we just come up and start to pray for people right now, just start to lay hands and pray for faith over them right now.